the well. Oh, thank you for turning those lights down. I am so hot. I mean, hot this way, not not that way. <laughs> oh, man, they put him back on. Okay. <clears throat> the woman at the well, if, if we rec- as you recall, she had a, a conversation with Jesus. And during that conversation, he had reminded her that she had five husbands and that she was living with the sixth. Uh, no mention was mentioned, no name, nothing, nothing was mentioned if she had been divorced or if she had been abandoned or widowed or anything. It was just a mark on her that she had had five husbands and living with the sixth man. So we don't know anything about her story. Maybe there was abuse or something like that, but that's not mentioned. She was an outcast in her village because of that. And so that was the reason that she came to the well <clears throat> by herself in the middle of the day when it was hot, when she, um, you know, when no one would talk to her, basically. And she knew the sting of rejection and having failed, you know, all these marriages and stuff. <clears throat> and haven't we all felt that someplace in our lives? I mean, we've had, you know, maybe failures on the job, failures in our marriage, um, failures with our kids. The failure isn't just marriage. It's so many different things that we can feel that label for ourselves. And so, uh, and we tend to think that everybody else always sees our failures, that they don't see the goodness in us. And so we walk around with our heads hanging low because we think that people are just, yes, thank you, Bobby, that people are just thinking and uh, of our failures, and that's not always the truth. But Jesus talked to her, and that was a, a, an unusual thing for uh, a man of his uh, stature to talk to um, a Samaritan woman and a woman, you know. So, but he didn't criticize her past. He knew everything about her, but he didn't criticize her past. He didn't mention her failures, and he cared for her as she was at that very moment, a woman needing a friend and encouragement. And Jesus gave her something she couldn't have on her own. I think we've got some slides, too. I don't, I don't think we're ready for them yet. But um, uh, he gave her living water. He gave her a fresh new start. He gave her a new sense of worth. And then she had a sense of boldness because of her conversation with Jesus to go back to her village and tell people about Jesus. And it's, it's um, you know, the very people that had labeled her and had considered her an outcast, are the very ones now that she goes and tells about a man named Jesus. And she led the village to the Lord. And in that very same uh, part of scripture, Jesus says to his disciples when they had come back, he says, look into the fields, they're white with harvest. And I'm sure that, that he was pointing to that woman leading a flock of her villagers out to meet him. And so what we need to know from this is that one changed life can bring many others to the Lord. You know, and I think of Miss Viola, wherever she is. Okay, all right, that's good. Okay, settle down. Um, you know, she, she had a very hurtful past, but when she came to know the Lord, I mean, everybody now is her mission field. And, you know, she goes to Walmart, it takes the woman three hours to buy $50 worth of groceries because she's leading everybody to the Lord that she passes. And so I know that there's going to be thousands of people in heaven because of this woman who was broken, who God made whole. And so we just need to know that one changed life can bring many, many others to Jesus. 
And Jesus gave this woman the value she needed to overcome that rejection and that loss and that loneliness and that isolation. So it doesn't matter where you are, Jesus values you. It doesn't matter what you've done, Jesus values you. And it doesn't matter what you believe about yourself, Jesus values you. And and in this story, she probably had lots of relationships with men, obviously. But one thing that maybe she didn't have that she needed the most was a woman friend who she could talk to and share her heart with, share her feelings with. Um, You know, I love my husband dearly, but he just doesn't get the female emotions. (laughs) All right, you know. If I need to cry, I have to go do it by myself someplace because if I start to cry in front of him, he'd just like, don't do that, you know. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, <laughs> but I can't stop. But, you know, but he, he understands me, and I'm not criticizing him. You back there, honey? You still love me? <clears throat> but, you know, nobody understands the female emotions like another woman does. And so we really need good girlfriends in our lives to, to help us through things. Now, that doesn't mean that we should get together and just, you know, yam on about our husbands and how horrible everything is. But no, we just need a woman that can understand us. And so friends and co- come and go over the years, but we really need girlfriends, okay? Friends come and go over the years, and some of the, the friendships that we have are just definitely seasonal, just there for a while. And, you know, I've had lots of friends over the years, but some are still with me and some, you know, have moved on. But my first painful relationship was Georgette Woods, okay? This was back in the sixth grade. We had become friends the whole summer from sixth to seventh grade. We spent almost every day in the summer together just having fun, just doing things that 12-year-old girls do. But um, when seventh grade started... Uh, we were in the lunchroom one day, and a girl named Becky Campbell, and okay, I, okay, I have forgiven her, but I still say her name like. <clears throat> now, Becky, Becky was the leader of the group at Madison School, okay? She, the 16th Street was the dividing street between uh, who would go to Central High and who would go to Camelback High in Phoenix, And it seemed like all the girls that were going to go to Central High were the popular girls and the ones that went to Camelback, which I went to Camelback. Yay, Spartans. Um, That was on the the east side, you know, probably the wrong side of 16th Street. But but so, um, what's her name? Becky. She was the leader of the group, and it was all the popular girls. Georgette and I had just had lunch one day in the cafeteria, and Georgette comes up to us, and she looks at Georgette, and she says, are you going to come with me, or are you going to stay with her? And Georgette, my dear, sweet friend, got up and went with Becky. And so that was my first hurtful relationship, you know, a girlfriend relationship. But, you know, I think I've gotten over it. But I still have trouble saying Becky Campbell. (laughs) But, But, you know, then other friends I've had, you know, just they've been there for a period of time when, when friendships were important. I had a girlfriend named Joyce. We had met at uh, church shortly after I'd become a Christian. This was in Las Vegas. And as it was, both of us were going through a very painful divorce at the same time. Uh, Her husband and my husband had chosen to leave us. You know, there was no negotiating in that. They were out the door. 
But Joyce and I manage to have lunch or dinner together at least once a week. And we would sit in the restaurant and we would laugh like crazy. We were an embarrassment to any restaurant that we went to. We would be laughing so hard that there wouldn't be any noise coming out of our voices. We'd be pounding on the table, falling off the booth, but we laughed our way through all that pain. And um, then another time, a girl that had only come to church for a very short time, she and her family. Um, This was back a few years ago. But the beginning of this is that um, on the morning of October 7th, 2007, Pastor Marvin and I were getting ready to go to church. Excuse me, it was about 7 o'clock in the morning. And I get a call from my brother George. And he tells me that our brother Steve had just passed away in his sleep that night. And so, uh, you know, I managed to compose myself. We had church to go to. Um, I, You know, I came to church. The only person I could tell was my son, because if I said anything else, I would have lost it and been a bucket case the rest of the day. A basket case, rather. And so... Um, I managed to hold the emotion in and go through, you know, the morning. I was working in the sound booth that day, and that was before we had awesome sound technicians. Woohoo! And so um, I was back there, and as Pastor Marvin closed the service, he said, you know, that Patty's brother had passed away, and, you know, just go and tell her whatever you need to tell her. But there was a girl named Amy that came over, and I was was stepping out of the sound booth. She grabbed me and hugged me, and it just, you know, just I could finally cry. And so she was a pain partner for me at that very brief time, and it wasn't long after that that, you know, they moved on someplace else. And then another friend, Vivian, um, uh, my sister Rose had lived in Phoenix, but her son lived in Plano. Rose was um, going through cancer treatments, and her son, who lives in Plano, had flown her out to to be with him so that she could so he could be more aware of her treatments and her medical, uh, all of that stuff. And so every week I would go to see Rose. And if anybody knows me, they know I hate Dallas traffic. And so I would, most of the time I would drive there by myself and visit with Rose for a while. But one day Vivian had said, Patty, I'm going to pick you up on Saturday. I'm going to drive you to Dallas. You can visit with your sister as long as you need to. I'll sit in the lobby with books and letters and stuff like that. And then we'll drive home. And she did that for me, and it was such a blessed time. And Vivian had just recently lost her own sister to cancer. And so it was just those kind of friendships that that mean so much and they're there for a while, but you know that they impact your life. And those are the kind of friends, you know, that we shouldn't be angry if somebody moves on. We should just appreciate the time that we did get to have with them. There's a story I heard of a little girl who's um was gone for a little while from her house and her mom said when she came home, she said, Susie, where have you been? And she said Well, I was at Sally's house. Her favorite doll broke, and I was helping her cry. And so, I mean, isn't that sweet? And so, you know, sometimes our friends are there to help us cry. So, and Pastor and I had to go through a transition. We were kind of schooled that pastors shouldn't get too close to the people in their church. 
because they could either turn on you or they know too much about you or, you know, that type of thing. So we kind of held ourselves away from getting too close to people. But now Vicki was the one I, that, you know, I could go to and we could talk to, and I felt like she was the only friend I had. And, um, but, you know, she, I could share my heart with Vicki, and I knew it wouldn't get beat up or, you know, blabbed or something like that. And I appreciate that, Vicki. And uh, so being in the ministry sometimes was painful and lonely. And um, even though we love the people <clears throat> that we have in our church, sometimes they move on. And so I've had to learn to love people loosely, you know, to love them for as long as I've got them in my presence. But, you know, for whatever reason, they move on. Um, and so many times people are only with us for a season. But changing the culture in our church really changed us. Where, you know, we're, we have so many friends now, it's ridiculous. I've got so many BFFs, it's crazy. But, you know, but I, I've just learned to, to become friends. I've learned to hug, which was a hard thing for me. But if you've ever been trapped by Alicia or Vanessa... <laughs> You know what a real hug is because, you know, you, they're hugging you and you think, okay, I'm, I'm through. <laughs> but, okay, this isn't stopping, so I'll make the most of it. But, you know, those hugs are so precious and valuable. And so it's helped me to learn to hug other people. Maybe not as long, but, <laughs> but you know, but the Radiant team, you know, we've got to be very close in our Radiant team. Our dream team, I love each and every person that serves in every capacity <clears throat> because you're using the gifts and abilities that God's given you to, to build a church to make it better for everyone. And small groups, I tell you, small groups are the cats meow, and I hate cats. But, <clears throat> you know, we have our bowling small group. Well, Alicia and Ray lead it now, but we still bowl every week. And um, our couple's dinner's night. And we've just become so close to, to other people in the church. And it's a true blessing. But we need girlfriends, okay? Can you all agree that we need friends? We need girlfriends? Because it's good for you. Um, you. We need to know who we are, who Jesus made us, and to be glad to be the person that God made you. There's good in all of us. and But no one's perfect, so, you know, don't dwell on your imperfections, but appreciate the goodness that God's put in you, and be comfortable being you, because you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and you're made in his image, and it's good for others. You're valuable, and you have something to give, and we all need to be giving in relationships. It's not just taking and receiving, but giving, because life is best measured in what you give, how you add value to others than what you get in return. So you can give encouragement and strength and support to others that they couldn't get on their own. And God tells us that we all go through stuff. Everybody goes through stuff. We've all got stuff that we go through. All God's children got stuff, right? Like Pastor Marvin says, everybody's got issues. And girlfriends and relationships are good for growing a life-giving church, which is what we have here. Our church has the culture and the life-giving uh, atmosphere because of the friendships that have been made in this room. And so two are better than one. And if two are better than one, then a whole group of us working together is, is really great. And we need to be involved in, in growing something bigger than ourselves. And that's what church should be and needs to be.
And our small groups and dream teams are the places that, that women can get involved and, and discover the gifts and abilities that God's given them. That are the, for the, God gave you gifts, not so that you can sit on them and think, oh, man, I've got this gift. It's so awesome. But it's, no, we need to use those gifts and abilities to, to help others, to, to reach others, and to build his church. When Jesus left the earth, he didn't tell his disciples, go and build a big business, a better school system, get a good government going, all that stuff. No, he said, go and make disciples. And how can you make disciples if it's not within the church? So, but there's one other thing I want to address that so many of us seem to experience in our lives for whatever reason. And and it's a it's really an epidemic that's going around in our country and through church people as well as people in the world, and that's depression. You know, there's I bet if you talk to most of us we can come in with a big smile and you know, put on our little church face and everything, but underneath we may be imploding. There may be things that we just, you know, I can't handle anymore, either with our homes, our children, you know, our marriages, whatever. But there's, there's, and I never, ever want to make light of what people go through. I know that, you know, we all experience so many different things, whether it's, um, the loss of a loved one, loss of a marriage and emptiness, physical challenges or finances. We all go through that stuff. And so um, we can't compare ourselves to other and think that, well, my circumstances are worse than hers or something like that. And I don't want to say that, you know, that there's a cure for depression, but I just want to give some suggestions on what we might try and do to, to not dive into that deep bottomless pit of depression. And I've been <clears throat> I've been depressed, you know, many times throughout my life, you know, losing my my parents at a young age, um uh the loss of a brother and a sister and and that type of thing. You know, that that can bring depression. You know, finances can always bring depression. Trying to grow a church and and dealing with uh, things that happen in the church, whether it's a fire or, you know, people leaving or whatever, that can, that can really get to you sometimes, as well as, you know, what other people go through outside the church. Um, so I never want to make light of the situations that we go through. But we need to realize that the devil is behind depression. Depression is a spirit, okay? It's something that the devil uses to, to just glom onto us and to try and bring us down and to keep us ineffective and to keep us down rather than moving forward. Um, the, you know, the Bible says that he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill you any way he can. He'd rather just get it over with first, first shot, you know? He, he just wants to kill you. And if he can't kill you, he'll try and steal your joy and make you think that God doesn't give a flying flip about you. And he wants to destroy you. If that doesn't work, he'll try and destroy your relationships and everything that you value in life. So when we, when we face depression and hardships, it's from the enemy. It's not God, oh, God's teaching me a lesson. No, he's not. God, God doesn't want you under that oppression of the enemy. So we need to know who we are in Christ. He sees your circumstances, and he's able to lead you out of them. You're precious and valuable in his sight, no matter what we're going through. And praying is not always the easiest thing when we're depressed, okay? I know, I've been there. 
but um, but praise is something you can do that will help blow away the dark clouds. Years ago, when I was going through a divorce, you know, the words just came to me, let my praise be louder than my pain. And so I learned to, even though it was hard and I hated the situation I was in, I praised God no matter what. And there's a, a story in Second Chronicles um, about Jehoshaphat. He was a king, and they were going to be facing two big enemies, the Ammonites and the somebody else. And, um, but what he did is he sent the singers ahead of the army. And so, uh, and they sang, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. And so we need to put our praise before our problems. Don't let your, your problems dictate how you're going to feel. You need to praise God in spite of the circumstances. And feeling sorry for yourself doesn't work. I have thrown thousands of pity parties, and nobody shows up. It's just, it's horrible. The cake, the ice cream, everything is there, and nobody shows up. Because my friends are all having their own pity parties, and nobody shows up. So having a pity party isn't, isn't going to cut it. And nobody wants to go to your pity party. <laughs> so... Um, you know, we just feeling sorry for ourselves isn't isn't the remedy there. And realize there are others that are worse off than you. You know, if if we just take the time to get into someone else's life, we'll realize that maybe our problems aren't so gruesome after all. And so, um, and you know, like my mom died when I was nineteen, and still to this day, there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't think about her, that I don't long for her a, a presence in my life. But I've had to think, praise God, I had her for 19 years. You know, and they were 19 good years. My mom was a good mom. And, uh, you know, with my dad and my sister and my brother, you know, praise God, I had them for the time that I did. And um, the, there's two things that God gives us when, when we lose somebody. One are the precious memories that we have. And I've got awesome memories of my family. And the other thing is the hope that we have for seeing them someday in heaven. So um, one other suggestion that I have is to get out and do something for someone else. Um, Call somebody, take them to lunch, um, get involved in church, refuse to sit on the sidelines, join a small group. (laughs) There you go. And, uh, you know, be with people who will lift your spirits. Don't go out with Debbie Downer, and I don't mean Debbie Tebbets. <laughs> Find somebody that's going to make you laugh. I tell you, laughter is the best medicine. And, um, and to get a girlfriend, be a girlfriend. Extend yourself as a friend. You know, the Bible says that if you want friends, show yourself friendly. So, and finally, the, the last thing is hope. I have an acronym for, for hope, holding on to promises expectantly, that God has given us his word. It's full of hope. It's full of faith-filled things that we can do. And if we, if we, let, if we drop that hope, you know, we don't have any hope then. So we need to hold on to his promises expectantly. If he's, he says he'll get you out of that mess, he'll get you over that hill, and so we just need to know that, that God's not going to lie. He's not going to um, give us a promise and then say, just kidding. 
No, he's, he, he wants to fulfill the promises in your life that he's given you. And if y'all ever remember movie, the movie Anne of Green Gables, you remember how dramatic she was all the time. And at one time, um, what was her name? Aunt Morella or something like that. Anne had said something like, oh, I'm just in despair. And, and Aunt Morella said, to despair is to turn your back on God. And so we need to remember that, that when we're depressed, when we, when we feel that nothing's going right, we're turning our back on God and saying, hey, I'm done with you. You can't do anything. But God is there. He wants to turn your circumstances around. So don't let depression rob you of the relationship he wants to have with you. Don't ever turn your back on God. Remember to let your praise be louder than your pain and to, um, to hold on to his promises expectantly. There's um, a scripture that I just love in Psalm 34:18. It says, he is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So when you're depressed, your, your spirit is crushed, but he saves you. He, he's close to the brokenhearted. When we're feeling our worst, that's when he's probably the closest. So just keep that in mind. So, Father, thank you so much for this time with these awesome ladies, Lord, all my BFFs out here. Thank you, Father. Lord, I just uh, give you honor for, for the word that you have spoken to these women tonight, the hope that you've given them, Lord. And I pray that even just a little tidbit of what took place tonight, the fun, the, the laughter, the, the word, Father, will be what will get them over any hump that they may be facing. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory for that in Jesus' name. And if, if you feel that you...